are now listening to the Paul McGuire Report. This is Paul McGuire. We have been doing a series of programs uh, in video because uh, our intention is to come back as strong with our video as we were uh, several years ago uh, before the curveball of uh, the COVID vax and stuff like that. So you have probably seen on the various social media channels that we're on, and we're on quite a few, you've probably seen, if you've signed up to the eblast list, you've been sent uh, these videos free. And uh, we're, we're reaching people as fast as we can all across the United States and all across the world, because that is our commission. The Bible talks about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the responsibility of the true Church of Jesus Christ, all those true born-again Christians who have been saved by faith in Jesus and have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, all of those people who will go to heaven, who will have a brand new glorified body, who will get the, the gift, the free gift of eternal life, will be in heaven. Now, these people, when they accept Christ down here on earth, and many of you listening to me now, Paul McGuire, many of you, huge percentage of you all over the world and across America, you are one of those individuals that I'm talking about. Some place in your life, you turned your mind and your heart towards God in prayer, and you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you with his blood. And then you, by faith, asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and make you born again. Now, when you said that, and you made that prayer in childlike faith, you were born again. I mean, whether you felt something or not is irrelevant. Most people feel something immediately, but there are huge numbers of people who feel nothing. But what is interesting is that whether you feel something initially or whether you don't feel something initially is not the final judge, because as time goes on, I promise you, as time goes on, you will have that powerful emotion that comes with having a supernatural relationship with Jesus Christ or, or a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There is no way that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that doesn't eventually, sooner rather than later, blossom into a relationship that produces joy holy passion, friendship, caring, love, all of the best qualities in human relationships. So, for example, the family structure, and, and this has nothing to do with your perceived sexual identity or anything like that. We're talking about something entirely different. We're talking about this, that when you accept Jesus Christ into your life by faith, you are born again. Jesus Christ lives inside of you, and out of the context of this personal relationship you have with God. And I don't want to trivialize it, but I could say you have become God's friend, and God has become your friend. That's a relationship. Now, all good human relationships eventually produce serenity, happiness, joy, peace, love. They heal. They give you meaning in life. There's laughter, there's celebration, you share good times, you share bad times, the person is there to lift you up or encourage you, and there are so many things that could be called the measurable outflow 
of an authentic, genuine relation, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't. I'm, we're going to dig into some other stuff in, in a second or two. But you see, that's the difference between the God of the Bible and all the other fictional and mythological gods, gurus, spiritual teachers, and prophets. All of the other so-called gods, or spokesmen, or whatever for God, for example, Buddha, or for example, uh, the gods of the Hindu religion, and I have in in my uh, book, Power from One High, I talk about my own personal involvement and all of that stuff. And I have a chapter in, in my book, Power from One High, where the name of the chapter is The Nine Billion Names of God. And, and I give you a taste of all the different names for all the different gods in the religion of Hinduism. But let's just stop for a second. The Hindu religion never claimed, with 100% certainty, the Hindu religion never claimed that these nine billion gods were real. They just said there was nine billion gods. And so they don't claim to be able to prove the existence of these nine billion gods. So essentially, and I want you to track with me with this, because there's, there's a massive sea change, a massive shift in the, in the spiritual currents, in the ebb and flow of our nation among young people and, and very young people and young adults, etc. Countless millions of people have, have rejected biblical Christianity, Judaism, the Old Testament and the New Testament. They, they have left it, and they have left it for they have become converts to the Hindu religions and to the meditation religions and to the Eastern mystical religions and to um, Hinduism and, and the, the god Shiva and uh, all the other Hindu gods. And then massive numbers have uh, been converted to Buddhism, and the various sects of Buddhism. Now let's remember something. When we calculate and analyze Hinduism, which is a massive religion that claims to have nine billion gods, and all these people, think about this logically and rationally. Go into the cockpit of your brain, and before you take off in your latest scalar-powered, scalar technology-powered jet, before you take off, let's just do some basic logical, rational, scientific analysis, okay? So let's just throw around some numbers and let's do the math, the mathematics of a multi-dimensional universe. So it goes like this. The Hindus say there are nine billion gods or nine billion names to God, but they can't prove it. You know, they have the Sanskrit scriptures, they have ceremonies, they have oral traditions in which they allegedly pass these things down from generation to generation, but they really don't have any quantitative proof that any of the Hindu gods ever existed, because guess what, folks? The bell rings, you know, the bell rings at this point. What I, what I hear right now, and I'm being very facetious, as I'm analyzing Hinduism, I hear a bell ring. It's not a doorbell. It's not, you know, ding-dong. It's not a buzzer. The bell that I hear ring is a cowbell. So in my mind's imagination, I see a big fat cow chewing on a grass hill, 
with some other cows chewing on a gas gas cell. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> chewing on a grass cell, chewing the grass. And then all these cows, but I hear a bell ringing. But the bell that I hear is the cow bell that's tied around the necks of all the cows. So I hear a lot of mooing, and I'm not going to do my, my sound effects of mooing because it would be pathetic. But just imagine I generated the sound of mooing, right? And then you hear the cow bell. Okay, so that's a cow bell mooing is not proof of the existence of God, one way or the other. So there are no, there are, I shouldn't say none, because when we examine the archaeology, the, the history past, and, and we look at the monuments and the caves and the massive temples and, and the mathematics and the sciences and, and all the uh, alleged technologies of these ancient super-civilizations, which would include, by the way, ancient Hinduism, uh, it, it, it's obvious that there was ancient super-civilizations that broke through the temporal barriers of their time period and invented and created all kinds of science fiction-like technologies and sciences which were highly futuristic. And I believe that's true. However, there's a big difference between that and a supreme being or a god or an infinite personal living god of the universe. So Hinduism doesn't come up with any proof of a god of the universe. Buddhism, Buddha was just a man who invented a system of spiritual of spirituality that revolved around what Buddha called the Eightfold Way. And, and the idea is that you were to get rid of all desire, and you were to, to think properly and righteously, and you were to act properly and righteously. And there, he codified... Buddha's what was called the Eightfold Way into eight disciplines that you needed to uh, practice in your life. And if you practice those disciplines, and one of the chief disciplines that Buddha taught was that you needed to be free from attachment to anything in this physical world reality. You had to be free of all attachment, free of all lust, ego, pride. And you had to, through exercises and good works and proper eating and proper employment, etc., accomplish all the goals of the Eightfold Way. And then, hopefully, if you did this properly, and Hinduism taught the same thing, if you, if you lived a pure life, now this is assuming, of course, that you're able and capable of generating what would be called a pure life by your good works. So essentially, Hinduism, Buddhism, Eastern mysticism, and many of the, uh, the world's religions, what they're really based on is this ancient and almost universal principle among all human civilizations, which is simply this. They have the erroneous belief that in order to get into heaven or paradise, or they have the erroneous belief that in order to uh, burn off all your excess karma, now, I explain all of this in a fast-moving, easy-to-understand easy way in my books. I, I, I break this open for you. And, and you know the names of the books. You can see them 
in sequential order. And I talk about, by the way, very important, I talk about my own heavy-duty personal experiences and involvement with all these things. So karma, karma can be defined as the, 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 essentially the law of sowing and reaping. And the idea is, is that you have good karma, which you produce by good works. And then if you have good karma, you will erase all the bad karma or the bad things or the selfish things you did. And then if you cleaned up your karma by good works, then you would be free spiritually from the, the karmic rule of an endless life of uh, reincarnations, where, where you would live, then you'd die, and depending upon your good works and the level of spirituality that you achieved, you'd come back in, in a hierarchy of elevated beings. So if you did a lousy job with your karma, you might come back as a, as a ant. If you, did, if you did a phenomenal job with your karma and cleaned up your karma, by the law of sowing and reaping and stuff, then it's very possible you could come back as an emperor or a king or a queen or something. Now, here's the interesting thing. Almost inevitably, when you hear a movie star or a celebrity talk about their experiences with karma, their belief in reincarnation, you will almost 100% of the time hear some blah, 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 blah about how they can recall their past lives. I'm talking about big movie stars and politicians and artists and famous people and movers and shakers. They're always recalling their past lives. But did you ever know, notice how, how egotistical, how prideful their, their recollection of their past lives always is? They are, they're always flashing back and remembering themselves when they were a king or a queen or the wealthiest man or the wealthiest woman in the world, or they were a famous artist or a musician or they the wife of so-and-so, or the husband of so-and-so, and it goes on and on and on. And what they have, when they, recollect, when they recollect their memories, what always happens is they have a delusional memory system. Because how is it that everybody who believes in reincarnation believes that in previous lifetimes they were always super rich, super wealthy, super famous, super beautiful, super influential, they're always at the top of the hill. It's, it's, it's all the time. It's, it gets to be obnoxious. The fact of the matter is, you very rare, very rarely, rarely hear a person talk about their past lives and, and, and tell you that they were a, a maid or, 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 or the cleaner of the slop buckets uh, of uh, King Henry VIII or, you know, uh, a crack whore in, in Harlem in the 50s. So whenever they're remembering their past lives, their memories create delusional, idealized memories, where they're kings and queens and the most beautiful and the most handsome and, and rich, et cetera, et cetera. Well, well, I think that's very interesting, and it reflects something about human nature. One is the capacity of human nature to delude oneself, because the whole idea of reincarnation is based on a collective delusion. So let's, let's, let's play it out for you, okay? People claim to come back and, you know, constantly. I believe, I, I had a half-baked belief in reincarnation. I definitely believe that after, this is before I was saved, and I was deeply involved in the New Age movement, the occult, Eastern mysticism, altered states of consciousness, 
And so the belief that I had was like a like a modified belief in reincarnation. I could this is back, you know, in my college days. So I couldn't completely give myself over to to even then what I thought was an irrational uh, Eastern mystical belief system. I just couldn't go with them all the way. So I, I invented my own modified belief in reincarnation, which was I believe that it was the responsibility of every human being to through meditation, through thinking, through acting, not acting like you know being in movies and television, but right actions. I believe that if a person uh, uh, took all the steps and practices and disciplines necessary to elevate their state of consciousness, that eventually the universe, because I, could, I didn't believe in God, eventually the universe or some kind of cosmic consciousness would, would like guide you home to your final destination point. And it would guide you and teach you how to live in a much higher state of consciousness, commonly known as things like God consciousness, Christ consciousness, cosmic consciousness. And when I saw the complete wreck, the complete train wreck that society was in when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s, and I was in the counterculture and I was a revolutionary, and I was, I was microdosing, minidosing, and macrodosing. Drugs like psychedelic drugs like LSD. I was majoring in altered states of consciousness at the University of Missouri and simultaneously majoring in filmmaking. So I had this mystical belief that some invisible hand would lead the human race into a higher level of consciousness, and that eventually, if you cooperated, if you if you made it the choice of your will, you had the will to resist it, to fight it off. You, you had the will to be committed to evil and lower states of consciousness, but in order to enter a higher state of consciousness and for mankind to enter a higher state of consciousness, you had to participate and do things uh, that would elevate your consciousness. So, I experienced personally cosmic consciousness, out-of-body experiences. Did experiments in remote viewing, studied Dr. John C. Lilly, Bhavaram Das, who was Dr. Richard Alpert, and on and on and on. So the point is, it was my belief, because when I looked at radical politics, I was demonstrating with Abby Hoffman, I was made an honorary member of the Black Panther Party. All of this is in my books, and there's a heavy download of this stuff in my book, Power from On High, which you need to get. When I say you need to get it, I mean it, and it's not simply for monetary reasons. It's because Power from on high will transform your life and transform the direction of your life and transform the direction of your life to such a degree that there, there will be the dunamis dynamite explosion in the invisible realm, and there will be an aftershock of continual positive Christ-like uh, um, uh, transformation in our culture. So I urge you to get power from on high. I mean, for crying out loud, we're practically giving it away. I'm not doing this out of some clever marketing financial need thing. I'm doing it because I want to turn on the brains of God's people, my brain, your brain, the brains of everyone we know, so that we can save planet Earth and save America before we self-destruct. Because guess what, folks? It's not a joke. It's not an exaggeration. It's certainly not an overstatement. 
but we are, as my friend Barry McGuire sang in his famous hit song, we are at or on the eve of destruction. And he sang that those famous lyrics, tell me over and over again, my friend. And then it was something like, are we at the eve of destruction? And that song was a mega hit song, but it was a prophetic song. And it's more prophetic today than it was when Barry originally sang it. Because the eve of, you'd have to be deaf, dumb, and blind not to recognize the signs of the times all around, all around us, and not to recognize the flashing red lights signaling to you and me that we are truly at the eve of destruction. We have the potential of uh, a, a nuclear war that would also involve directed energy beam weapons, scalar technology, satellites, android soldiers, robot soldiers, clone soldiers, biological warfare, chemical warfare, nuclear warfare, uh, on-the-ground troops, in, in nations invading nations. I mean, it just goes on and on. We are on the precipice of Armageddon, and what could easily trigger it is the following. We have a financial crisis in the United States, in the EU, and across the world. Even with uh, Russia and China and other nations uh, called the BRICS nations, even though they're, they're, they're propositioning an alternative uh, economy, our economy is still largely dependent on petrodollars. And so the EU, Great Britain, America, and other nations, we are all linked together uh, under what's called the petrodollar. And that is an economic system and a dollar system that essentially was developed by Rockefeller and Rothschild. Rockefeller because it was the Rockefeller family that, that pumped the oil wells in America and Saudi Arabia and other nations. And it was the Rockefellers which created the oil-based petrodollar economy. And so the whole world has been ruled by a, a, a globalist elite, essentially headquartered in Germany, Great Britain, the EU, America, and uh, that massive amount of money that was accumulated through, through dollars and oil in Saudi Arabia, that massive amount of money um, financed the, the, the greatest war machines in the history of mankind. So through Darwinian pure evolutionary force, these societies and trillionaire families that I mentioned to you are currently ruling the world. It is at the very top of these families that the Illuminati bloodline rules. And that Illuminati bloodline is not, it's not fic fictional. The Illuminati bloodline uh, encompasses the, the royalty of the EU nations. It encompasses Davos in Switzerland. It, it, it's, it, it encompasses uh, the king and queen of England, and the royal family in England is Illuminati, and Germany, and uh, uh, Brussels, and this entire Pharaoh God King system is alive and well in the world. And so the rockets, the, the nuclear weapons, the nuclear missiles, the, the space program, 
the nuclear bombs, the science of mind control, and on and on and on, has given us the brute force to dominate the world, and the rest of the world is now challenging that. Now, they're not going to tell you that in the media, because uh, mainstream media is all about hiding that information from you. They, they want to perpetuate the, this illusion or this matrix for as long as they can. Because, look, let's go through the mental analysis here. Knowledge is power. Matrix is illusory power. Ma the matrix is a world of virtual reality, a world of illusions. That's the matrix. And the matrix is generated by computer-generated virtual reality, artificial intelligence, genetic modification, and genetic engineering. The Illuminati, they're, they're men and women who believe that the, their family line, that their DNA, that their genetic code goes all the way back to when the fallen angels mated with human women and produced the hybrid species of both uh, human females and human females who were mating with uh, fallen angels um, and producing a hybrid race of the Nephilim and the Rephium and so on and so forth. But that's a very dangerous game to play. These men and women at the royal families, they, their genetic descendants go all the way back to Chaldea. They go all the way back to uh, the Pharaoh God King system in Egypt. They go all the way back to um, um, the Tower of Babel at the time of the Tower of Babel in ancient Babylon. And here is the critical secret that you must understand. You will remain, your mind, your consciousness, your intellect will remain locked up in, in an inverse, um, in an inverse tiny microscopic box. And so all of your consciousness, your memories, your intelligence, your abil ability to analyze have now been confined into a microscopic tiny little box, which, even though it's microscopic, it essentially functions as one of God's many supermax prisons where evil and the devil and the de devil's followers and the false prophet, etc., live. God's supermax. So God's supermax to, 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 to uh, lock up really bad people exists in the microscopic realm and it exists in, in the macroscopic realm. And so these men and women believe that they are part of the Illuminati bloodline families and that their DNA and genetics can be traced directly back to when the fallen angels mated with human women and the human female women with human female DNA mated with fallen angels and produced a hybrid race that, that mixed the, the DNA of fallen angels with the DNA of human women. Now, the problem with that is this. Um, it's, a, it's a primary violation of the law of God. In Genesis, we, it's repeated over and over again how God warns mankind and he warns creation not to interbreed or mix your seed with the seed of another species, or to mix your DNA with the DNA of another species. This is 
forbidden. And it is a high-level commandment from God. Yet at the same time, within those parameters and constraints, God tells mankind and all of creation, he, he repeats this numerous times, he says, be fruitful and multiply, be fruitful and multiply. So God is all about opening the tiny, microscopic, finite box, opening the door to that box and letting man become free and letting man become all that he was created to be by God. And remember, mankind was created to be a very high-level being with the full utilization of his or her talents and abilities. That would be godlike, except godlike, except for this one thing. Men and women were never intended to be God, rival God, usurp God, or, or fight to be in the realm of God. When, when the devil tempted Adam and Eve, he told them that if, if they ate of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the Garden of Eden, they would be like gods. And then Eve objected and said, well, no, that's not quite what God said. God also said that the, in the day that you eat of that fruit, in the day that you eat that fruit, that's the day you will die. And you will not become like God. So the devil, like he does today, was lying to our real space-time genetic ancestors. Okay, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. We'll be back in just a moment. You are listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. Okay, let's move forward in time to the present moment. We are in what the Bible describes as the last days. Jesus Christ spoke of the signs of the times. Both of these terms indicate that we are in, we are at the end of the age. We are at the time period in human history where all of Bible prophecy will be fulfilled. And that means ultimately that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, is about to return to planet Earth and rule and reign planet Earth uh, for a thousand-year millennial reign. And when he comes to planet Earth, which could be at any moment, he is going to be riding a white horse. He will be accompanied by the armies of heaven riding horses. They will descend on the valley of Megiddo, and then they will be victorious at the war of Armageddon, where they will defeat all the nations of the earth that are militarily attacking Christ at his second coming. They will defeat the false prophet, the Antichrist. They will destroy the mystery Babylon system and the one world government, the one world religion, um, and the one world economic system. And a central feature of this global system, or the beast system, is the uh, platforming of a cashless society and a cashless currency where you can't buy or sell unless you accept the mark of the beast. This is all moving um, in our direction like lightning speed. Okay, the other thing is that in our time period, all of the current events that we see transpiring that, that have been prophesied in the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, all of these things are coming true. And some of the primary 
prophecies that are coming true are a long predicted birth of a one world government, a one world religion, and a one world economic system. This happened in the past. It's recorded in the book of Genesis uh, when in ancient Babylon, at the time of the Tower of Babel, Nimrod, who was the type of the Antichrist, he uh, and the people of Babylon organized a society that was in perfect unity. They had one common language, and the people of ancient Babylon were highly, highly developed in advanced and futuristic technology and sciences. And so, in every respect, they were a thriving super-civilization. But the problem is that in the hearts of the people of ancient Babylon, they were worshippers of Lucifer or Satan. It's very similar to today. And so they were worshippers and worshippers of Lucifer and Satan. And so God decides to come down and check out what's really going on in ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel. It's not that God didn't know. Of course he knew. But he wanted to see it for himself so that when he issued an edict or pronounced a judgment against ancient Babylon, the whole world and all the peoples of the world would know that God was a fair and just God and that he didn't haphazardly send judgment on ancient Babylon, but that he judged Babylon as a direct response to the wickedness and the evil and the corruption and the Satanism and the Luciferianism that God saw with his own eyes erupting all over ancient Babylon. So it would be justified for God to judge ancient Babylon. And of course, we know that the Tower of Babel or Babylon comes from the root word uh, portal or, or gates. The, the Tower of Babel was really an interdimensional stargate or an interdimensional portal. And the Tower of Babylon, uh, the Tower of Babel allowed for the entrance of interdimensional entities or fallen angels to come in from an external dimension, go through the gates or go through the portals of the Tower of Babel, and then enter the physical dimension, physical reality world. So God came down to Babylon, perceived that in the hearts of the men and women they were worshiping Lucifer. And so then God, even though the people were unified and highly advanced in their technology, God judged ancient Babylon. And that resulted in that the, that the common or, or, or singular language that the people of Babylon had, all of a sudden, they were cursed by God, and they could not speak in a common language. So, so they, they, they spoke in a form of babbling or gibberish. It, it, it was nonsense speaking. They couldn't understand one another. And, and the consequence of that was is that the different tribes and different ethnic groups in ancient Babylon that spoke now different languages, they all went off and established their own unique and individual towns, cities, and settlements based on their their language. And it, it completely transformed Babylon. And then God would not to tolerate mankind putting together a counterfeit kingdom of heaven and and worshiping Lucifer in their hearts and minds. 
Now, that is exactly what's happening now. In fact, this whole dynamic of mystery Babylon, we see, begins in ancient Babylon at the time of the Tower of Babel. This whole concept of mystery Babylon, the New World Order, the Antichrist, it emerges in many forms, shadows, and types throughout the Bible. It's prophesied continually throughout the Bible. And then, uh, in the last days, God warns through the prophets, etc., that a new world order is going to arise, and that new world order will consist of a one-world government, one-world religion, and one-world economic system. And uh, for branding and marketing purposes, the, the globalist elite or the Luciferian elite who secretly rule this world have, have changed the name of their global government to, they changed the name of what they used to call the New World Order, the New uh, uh, Global Economic System, and the New uh, One World Religion. That name has been changed to uh, the Great Reset. So the Great Reset has now become the focal point of the New World Order. The Great Reset is the New World Order. So when you see the wealthiest people in the world uniting, and they, they're uniting under their worship of Lucifer, and they're uniting because these represent the super richest families on planet Earth. They're worth trillions and trillions of dollars. They represent 1% of the population. And even though they represent only 1% of the population, they control 99% of the wealth. It's a very odd thing. So we read about this this. Antichrist system rising and the return of mystery Babylon or ancient Babylon. And I want to read you a couple of things in the Bible because we're in this time period right now. And remember that these people who are, well, before we get into that, let me, let me uh, talk to you about a foundational premise that has to be understood before you can dive deeper into your understanding of what's happening in the world and why. The primary, or one of the primary blockages, one of the primary barriers between individuals, men and women, one of the primary barriers of all these men and women coming into a recognition, coming into a deeper understanding, or acquiring the knowledge of how the world really does work in terms of its invisible power structure, the pyramidal power structure that secretly rules planet Earth, where Lucifer and, and the worshippers of Lucifer rule from the top down in a pyramidical hierarchy. That is one of the fundamental organizational principles of the universe established by Lucifer. Now, the critical thing is is that the barrier that keeps men and women of all ages, that keeps people, that keeps people you know, from becoming enlightened in the true sense of the word, in, in understanding what's really happening and wh why it's happening, the primary barrier between that knowledge and, and where people are in their minds or hearts is this. The average person in America and around the world cannot possibly imagine, or they cannot possibly believe, even remotely, in any concept 
which suggests that there's an invisible hierarchy. There's an invisible group of puppet masters ruling the world, and that you and I and the rest of mankind, all we are, is puppets on the strings of the globalist elite or the Luciferian elite or the puppet masters who secretly rule the world. You see, that in and of itself is the greatest barrier we have to a mass awakening, to a great awakening, to a full-on understanding as to what is really happening uh, on planet Earth right now. The barrier that, 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 that has become a hindrance that is blocking people from a full revelation of this uh, spiritual war between God and Satan, what is blocking men and women from totally processing this is they can't bring themselves to believe that this world that we live in is secretly controlled by just 1% of the population and that this 1% of the population has a superior knowledge, wisdom, intellect, DNA code, intelligence. They have a vastly superior intelligence and understanding and access to secret scientific uh, principles and access to secret scientific and technological principles. They, they have a mental barrier that prevents them from, from processing that, that which I just told you. There's a massive barrier between, between the truth and what they think is the truth. And that massive barrier is composed of a pervasive disbelief in the reality of a massive conspiracy. And yes, that's the word that should be used, because if there is a massive conspiracy, and there is, then it would be delusional, it would be the embracing of lies, and it would be the height of foolishness to, to pretend that there wasn't a conspiracy when in fact there is a conspiracy, and that conspiracy, within that conspiracy, it just happens to be not a, a fictional idea, but it happens to be a factual idea, complete with documentation, and it happens to explain adequately and truthfully the very structural dynamics, the power dynamics of this created world in the universe. So you see, what is, why is it that millions of people, they just, it's like their, their, their brains are like cars and they just, their, their motor starts, stops running. They can't bring themselves to accept the fact that, yes, there is, there are puppet masters ruling the world. There is an Illuminati bloodline families. That, that, that it's true, it's a fact, it's not a myth, that, that just 1% of the population rules 99% of the population. That's not a fantasy, that happens to be a fact. And it is so hard for people to, to break through that barrier. It is not only so hard for people to break through the barrier, they actually spend their entire lives locked inside a little microscopic box where they think not only false and lie-based thoughts, but they think thoughts that, that are compressed inside a microscopic box of consciousness, and they are forever unable to open their minds to the far deeper understanding of things. So that is the primary barrier in life, or we could say, in biblical ter terms, that is the primary stronghold in life. And remember, according to the Bible, a stronghold is a satanically energized argument or a satanically energized ideology or belief system or whatever. That is not necessarily true, but everybody believes it's true because as a stronghold, 
it is energized by demonic powers. A case in point would be, how is it that so many normally intelligent people, how is it that so many apparently educated, informed people, how is it that so many millions of them actually believe the lie of the theory of evolution, actually believe that mankind evolved from, you know, a pebble to a molecule, and then 200 to 300 million years later, mankind randomly evolves into a human being, which statistically is impossible, and there are no archaeological fossil records to prove it. So how is it that so many seemingly otherwise intelligent people believe such a total whack job, nutcake, um, farce? A fool's errand. How is it that people who are who appear to be halfway intelligent actually believe in something more stupid, more ludicrous, more nuts? That, I mean, you would be more sane and more rational and, and putting more of your brain to use if you said, well, I believe in Charles Darwin's theory of evolution. Even though there's no evidence to prove it, I believe in the theory of evolution. I believe that mankind evolved over 300 million years in time, mankind evolved into a uh, human being through random chance, by pure random chance. As crazy and bizarre and as nuts as that is, millions of people believe that, like a religion. But I think it would be far more plausible to, to stand up at some scientific uh, symposium and announced that you had scientific proof for the existence of Santa Claus and his helpers and Mrs. Santa Claus, and, and, and you had an archaeological relic of how they built uh, Santa Claus's sled and how he managed to deliver all these Christmas gifts to all the boys and girls in, on time all over every city and all over the world. That would be more plausible than the belief in random chance evolution. You understand what I'm, what I'm going for here? Okay, so we come to the place now where mankind is, has entered a completely different era of thinking, consciousness, and belief. When we go all the way back to Adam and Eve, they were commanded by God not to eat from the, uh, the, the, the through the tree in the middle of the garden, because in the day that you do, you will surely die. And Lucifer and Satan seduce Eve, who seduces Adam, and they, and they eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. And, and that activates the law of sin and death. It activates the death force. It activates all kinds of bad things. And the reality of the human race has changed forever. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve become mortal beings. All of a sudden, Lucifer becomes the temporary god of this world. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve and all of creation, the death force has entered their bodies, and they have now entered the modality of slowly dying. So every living thing is in the process now of dying, of getting old, of aging, of getting sick. All of this is a consequence of the fall. And then you have the fall of man occurring. All of a sudden, Adam and Eve have an instantaneous transformation, and they are they're in a state of consciousness called shame. They're ashamed. They're embarrassed. Why are they embarrassed? Because for the first time in their lives, they're cognizant of the fact that they're, that they're um, 
naked and ashamed and embarrassed. And they, they all of a sudden lose their immortality. And they, they, they lose their superpowers. And, and then this is passed on from generation to generation, so that even now, every single one of us who have been born, we are products of the fall of mankind. So, this is passed on to our children, our <clears throat> children's children, <clears throat> up to the present moment. But we, we, when we reflect back, we, we observe the fact that, that planet Earth and the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve, all of them, collectively, were beautiful, living in harmony. Nature was outstandingly beautiful in color and sound, and, and human beings were handsome and attractive, and and everything in reality was life-enhancing, creative, wondrous, beautiful, colorful, in perfect balance, peace that was tranquility, and there was no anxiety, there was no depression, there was no distortion. People were in a psychological paradise, and people lived in a physical paradise. And God created the world to be paradise intentionally. So what God was communicating when he created planet Earth and when he created the Garden of Eden, God was sending a message to future generations of mankind. God was sending a message that what he had envisioned for men and women, what God conceptualized paradise to look like, what God conceptualized the paradise of the Garden of Eden and the paradise of planet Earth to be like, that conceptualization of paradise it was expressed before the eyes of God by everything they looked upon and saw and experienced while they were ruling planet Earth and while they were ruling the Garden of Eden. They were walking around and, and ruling in paradise, which was spectacular beyond belief. I mean, this is, this is amazing. A paradise that is so beautiful, so transcendent, so musically harmonious, no sickness, no disease. Everybody has a perfect body, a perfect glorified body. And it's, there's a wonder over this creation of God. All of that was God's way of communicating to us, hey, folks, this is what I wanted the world to be like and for you to rule over. I created God was saying to mankind and the science the scientists of mankind God was saying to all of them I am not the god of the mundane the boring the repetitive or the god of factories nor am I the god of artificial soulless intelligence God was saying to the human race I am the infinite personal living god of the universe I am the creator god capital C and therefore as the creator god I am creative and an artistic in everything that I do. And God was saying, when you put your faith in me, you are going to live forever in my creative and spectacular world. The new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. But at this time, earth was splendid beyond description. And it all had to do with the fact that God is the creator, capital C, and he's creating the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, as something of infinite, wondrous beauty. Now, let's compare and contrast the reality of God, the creativity of God, 
let's contrast scientifically, intellectually, theologically, philosophically, let's contrast the world that God created, the Garden of Eden that God created, that was magnificent beyond description, that was beautiful beyond description, that was colorful and majestic and and spectacular and no words to describe it. That is what God created because he's the infinite personal living God of the universe. So think of the beauty, the majesty, the glory, the splendor by which God creates mankind and by which God creates the Garden of Eden and how God creates uh, planet Earth. It's just creative and wonderful. Now, think of the, the most beautiful areas of nature on planet Earth now. The mountains, the snow on the mountains, the oceans, the, the, the tides, the moonlight, uh, island paradises. Notice that almost without exception, the most beautiful expressions of our physical reality have all been created and designed by God. And the uglier parts of our reality, those are the things that have been designed and created by mankind. You see the difference? So, when you think about nature and flowers and forests and waterfalls and all the beauty and grandeur of of nature, and then you compare it and contrast it with most of the inner-city streets in the cities of America, the ghettos, the, the, the slum streets, the gangs, the child trafficking, the, 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 the addictive drugs, the crime, the, the, the total degradation and deterioration physically of our inner cities, that they're horrific looking, they're, they're monstrosities. All of that is a byproduct of what man created. Never forget it. The ugliness, the hideousness of the ghettos and of war-torn regions on planet Earth, they are the result of man's creation, or the byproduct of man's creation. And when you compare the two, it says it all, doesn't it? I mean, you don't have to go to theology school. You don't have to go to MIT or Stanford Research Institute. All you have to do is have a brain, use your brain, compare and contrast planet Earth and the Garden of Eden, and compare and contrast that with the ghettos, the inner cities, the drugs, the garbage, the pollution, the war-torn nations. Just compare and contrast the two realities. One is a monstrosity and hideous, and one is beautiful beyond description. How did that happen? Well, it happened this way. Everything that is beautiful, that which is artistically wondrous, all of that was created by God the Creator, capital C. And all of the Frankenstein reality, and the ugliness, and the ghettos, and the drugs, and the garbage, and the pollution, all of that is a byproduct of the creation of men and women. And there you have it. I mean, there you have it. A totally perfect illustration of what the world is like when God is in charge, and when God creates it, and when God designs it, versus the hideousness of the world when, God, when, when man creates it, the ghetto-like, garbage-dump world that man creates. The comparison is so simple. The comparison is so simple. So the people 
with the ghetto mindset and the drugs and the sex trafficking and the Satanism and the ugliness and, and the endless horrors of war-torn nations, the people who rule and control all of the, the horror show, the people who rule and control that, the 1% that represent the richest banking families in the world, the trillionaires, the globalist elite, the Luciferian elite, those monsters, everything that they create essentially is an expression of hell on earth because everything they create is a reflection of the nature and mindset of Satan and Lucifer. You see, God creates beauty and harmony. Lucifer creates brutality and horror. So why would you trust? Use your rational mind. I appeal to you, and I appeal to you to appeal to your friends. The idiots that you and I know, and I don't apologize for that, because you truly have to be an idiot to believe the following. If you actually believe that the Great Reset, that the um, World Economic Forum, and their global government, global religion, and global, global uh, economy, that the, that the trillionaires of the Great Reset, they keep saying that they have a plan for mankind, which is going to bring paradise on Earth. Of course, they're lying horrifically. Their plan is to turn planet Earth into a, uh, what was, what was the, 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 I'm having a mental blank. What were the building, oh, not the, their goal is to turn planet Earth into one giant Nazi concentration camp, or one giant prison camp. They tell the suckers, people who don't know history and stuff, they tell them that, they tell them, you will, you will own absolutely nothing. You'll own absolutely nothing, but you'll never be happier in your whole life. Now, first of all, that's a contradiction. And second of all, it, that, that is a total lie by the Great Reset. The Great Reset, these trillionaire families, are not going to give up one penny of their money unless it gives them a tax benefit. They, they don't part with their land, their nations, their cars, their multiple mansions, their multiple yachts, and their multiple aircraft. They are rich beyond your wildest dreams. They have pool, swimming pools. They own islands. It's impossible to describe their, their wealth and how rich they are. And they're never going to give away a penny of it. And, they, and yet they have the audacity to say to you, to say to me, to say to the common man, they have the audacity to say, you'll own absolutely nothing, but you'll never be happier in your whole life. Do, do they or have they ever owned absolutely nothing? Of course not. They wouldn't be so stupid. Their power is built on the fact that they own enormous amounts of wealth, and they have no intention of sharing it. They own 99% of the world's wealth, yet they only represent 1% of the population of planet Earth. Doesn't that tell you at all? So they, they, they own and control 99% of all the wealth on planet Earth, yet they themselves represent only 1% of the population of planet Earth. So these people are greedy, they are evil, they are liars. Think about what you would have to be in your inner character to worship Satan as God. So 
when the Antichrist comes and, and, and false prophet come, comes, and even now as Satan gives people the opportunity to sell their souls for money, power, sex, or whatever, these people are and have been selling their souls to Satan and Lucifer for thousands of years. They sell their souls to Lucifer in exchange for power, money, wealth, position, etc. That's the name of the game. And then when the Antichrist and the false prophet appear, people will be allowed to, people will be expected to worship the Antichrist and the false prophet as God. And then only after they worship the Antichrist as God, and only after they publicly reject Jesus Christ as Lord, only then will they have the opportunity to get the mark of the beast or the uh, nanochip implant or whatever. And only then will they be able to buy or sell or be plugged in to the hive mind or the world brain. That's what it's all about. So what this is all about, this is not a complex story that has occurred for thousands of years. This is a very simple story. It's as simple as a fairy tale, but it's absolutely true. Once upon a time in America and planet Earth, all of planet Earth and the Garden of Eden was an indescribable paradise of beauty and majesty. Once upon a time, in this world, it was all paradise. And once upon a time, men and women were given the choice to rule and reign in paradise, to function as kings and queens in paradise in the Garden of Eden, to live forever in the Garden of Eden. If they disobeyed the Word of God or rejected the Word of God, they would disconnect themselves from paradise, and they would, they, they would initiate the fall of man and release the death force in man. So, every man and woman had a choice. Now, every man and woman had sold their souls to the devil <clears throat> temporarily, on a finite basis, received supernatural power, supernatural wisdom, money, wealth, and all kinds of things. But that, that prosperity was short-lived. It was short-lived because Lucifer was never God to begin with. Lucifer was always a high-ranking fallen angel who lusted to be God. He knew he was never God, but he lusted to be God, and therefore he has led a revolution with one-third of the angels in a coup d'etat and a, a Luciferian attempt to overthrow the, the order and lordship of Jesus Christ, overthrow that with the, the demonic armies and the fallen angels, and then install Lucifer on the throne room of God and create an environment where Lucifer will rule and reign mankind as if he was God, and mankind would, would worship him as if he was God. Pretty intense. Yet all of that is based on the deception and lies of Lucifer. Everything that Lucifer promises to mankind is built on a lie. The whole thing's a lie. The whole thing's a delusion. The Bible says there is only one, only one true God, and that is Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the only one true God. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through him. 
So, so only Jesus Christ is God. And every man and woman that puts their faith in Jesus and has their sins forgiven by the blood of the Lamb and invites Christ into their hearts to be born again, to be a new creature in Christ Jesus, and to live forever and eternally in heaven, forever and ever and ever. All of those people that put their faith in, in, in the message of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, all of those people have instantaneously, they have become eternally joint heirs with Jesus. That means you share in the full inheritance personally of the infinite wealth, land, power, of all the assets in the kingdom of heaven. You are a joint heir with Jesus, which means you, you are a joint inheritor. That the inheritance of Jesus Christ, which is an infinite inheritance, that inheritance is partially yours. You are a joint heir with Jesus. You will sit on a throne in the throne room of God with your name on it. You will rule and reign with Jesus Christ for all eternity. So you, you are not an insignificant being. You're not an amoeba or a mosquito. You are the sons and daughters of God. And as the sons and daughters of God, you have been given a vast array of supernatural powers, giftings, and abilities. That's heavy. So think of that as we look at the challenge and challenges facing us. We have to remember that God has given each one of us the title deed in the Word of God, and the Word of God is a covenant. We have been given an everlasting covenant in the Bible. We have been given a title deed. We are joint heirs with Jesus, and we are guaranteed to share in our full percentage of wealth, power, land, and blessing promised to Jesus in the Bible, but it is also allotted to us in the Bible. Why? Because we're the sons and daughters of the Most High God. Now, when you think about the counterfeit, which is transhumanism, Satanism, Luciferianism, secular humanism, all of these philosophies are philosophies of delusion, which falsely teach that if you follow Satan or, or worship Satan, that you will be given all these supernatural powers, all these abilities, all this wealth, all these riches. But the fact of the matter is, all of these alluring promises of wealth are based on lie upon lie upon lie. So you are promised everything, but they're all lies. They're all lies. And so the transhumanist says, to himself or herself, they, 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 they say, the transhumanists, that if only we invent the right technology, the right science, the right artificial intelligence, the right genetic engineering, if only we restructure or reinvent genetically mankind, if we do this, we can, we can genetically modify man and woman to be eternal beings, to be gods, to have all kinds of superpowers like gods, and in essence, the transhumanists are saying that with advanced scientific technology, sciences, knowledge, genetic engineering, etc., etc., we can transform man through science and technology into becoming a, an eternal being and into becoming gods. 
So you see, that's the seduction. Lucifer is promising man eternal life and godhood. And and their methodology of salvation is, is not that you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're born again and, and you live eternally. No, their methodology is not based on the Word of God. Their methodology is based on the delusion that if they tinker around in their laboratories long enough, they can create with the help of artificial intelligence, computers, sciences, and technology, that they can rebuild uh, back man and woman better, that they can make artificial men and women, that they can technologically and scientifically transform them into gods. And so they believe they can give mankind godhood and eternal life. And so they see salvation, eternal life, supernatural powers, and everything of that nature. They perceive all of that as achievable through the development of technologies and sciences. But the problem is, you see, the problem is they're not God. And and just like Satan's lies didn't pan out, whenever Lucifer lies, he lies a good game. But every time Lucifer seduces mankind through lies, always, every time, it blows up in the face of Lucifer and mankind. And so you have, you have, instead of the God promises that every believer in Christ will have a magnificent and majestic mansion in heaven designed just for them, and that paradise will be just that, paradise. But mankind and the transhumanists are creating a Frankenstein future. And so, I mean, it's all summed up. I'm not making an allegation, but it's obvious because I've spent a lot of time in Lahaina, Maui. It's obvious that some kind of advanced technology or science literally vaporized what used to be called the town of Lahaina on the island of Maui. It's vaporized. It's a pile of dust. It was apparently hit with some kind of directed energy weapon. So that's a classic example. Mankind, instead of expanding the paradise that God created on the island of Maui, mankind creates directed energy weapons instead and incinerates the entire paradise town of Lahaina. And mankind does this over and over again, through war, through, through imperfection, through lies, through deceit. Mankind is continually, and transhumanists are continually creating over and over and over again, the Bride of Frankenstein. Now, you compare the Bride of Frankenstein with the Bride of Christ, and everything becomes clear. The Bride of Christ is beautiful, pure, holy, eternal, and the Bride of Christ represents the glory of Jesus Christ. And then you compare the Bride of Christ with a monster called uh, the Bride of Frankenstein. And the Bride of Frankenstein is made of brutal, ugly, hideous parts like bolts stuck into its neck huge scars stitched into its forehead. It's powered by some weird high-voltage system, and the Bride of Christ is a monster. It's hideous, it's destructive, and it's ugly. The difference between the Bride of Frankenstein 
and the bride of Christ is literally the difference between heaven, eternal life, and hell and eternal damnation. Because that's what man creates. Man has fallen. Man has fallen. And so it's impossible for the globalist elite, the uh, Luciferian elite, it's impossible for them with all their trillions of dollars and their grand great reset. When the day is done, what the the uh, Luciferian elite and the great reset will will bring to the table when the day is done is a hideous wedding celebration in which the, the grotesque bride is the bride of Frankenstein. And conversely, the bride of Christ, beautiful, radiant in glory like Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, and all those who accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, you are going to be invited to live and celebrate forever in the greatest cosmic party of all time, and that cosmic party is known as the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, the most beautiful, wondrous, glorious celebration for all eternity. The Marriage Supper of the Lamb. So just think of the comparison. Transhumanists and their Bride of Frankenstein and their demonic wedding versus transhumanism and the the opposite of transhumanism, which is your guaranteed entrance into the marriage supper of the Lamb. I mean, you know, it says it all in its simplicity. It says it all. I'm Paul McGuire. Be sure to visit paulmcguire.us. Ask the Lord how you can help us right now, and whatever God puts on your heart to give, I simply ask that you would obey the Lord when he speaks to you. Help us battle the rigging by signing up, liking, following our social media, and be an intercessory prayer warrior for myself, my family, the people associated with this ministry, and the people we're reaching. God bless you. This is paulmcguire.us, and be sure to visit paulmcguire.us.